Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to speak to you this morning about a heart knowledge of Jesus. Not an intellectual knowledge of Jesus, but a heart knowledge of Jesus. I'll begin by asking you a personal question. How well do you know Jesus? How well do you know him? I didn't ask you how much you knew about him. I asked you how, how well you knew him. How well do you know him? Do you, um, do you talk to him regularly? Just find yourself talking to Jesus. Do you find him speaking to you, not only through his word, but by the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? Because he said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. You know, you could say, well, Brother Fred, I know this. I know Jesus as my Savior. I know him as my Lord. But do you know him as your best friend? You know what Jesus said in John? I no longer call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I call you friends because I'm going to tell you what my father tells me. You know, the apostle Paul had one passion in his life. You say, oh, brother Fred, he wanted to carry the gospel to the whole world. Yes, but I'm going to tell you something. Paul had a passion to know Jesus. Just as he had a passion before he was saved to be the best Jew he could be, to be the most learned Jew he could be, to be the greatest Pharisee he could be, and to annihilate, quote, the Christian church, just as he had a passion for Judaism. You multiply that a million times, and you can see the passion he had to know Jesus. He wrote 13 of the epistles in our New Testament, hey? But you know, he never left that pursuit. So in, in Philippians 3... He talks to us about his passion. First of all, he said, you know, to get to know Jesus the way I needed to know him, it cost me everything. He said, it cost me everything. Look in Philippians chapter 3. And you'll notice he said uh, in verse 7. Well, verse 6, he tells you his background. In verse 7, he said he had to give it all up. Let me just start with verse 7. But what things were gained to me? Well, what was that? Verse 6 said he was circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and persecuting the church. And concerning the law, he was blameless. So I'm going to tell you about Paul. He called Saul at that time. He had a place of prominence in Judaism. I mean, he was number one probably. But he not only had a place of prominence, but he had a place of position. When Paul spoke or Saul spoke, people listened. But then when he met Jesus Christ, he said, all of that means nothing to me. I'm going to give it all up. Now, the very people that used to admire him and the very people that used to brag on him and the very people that used to say, boy, Saul, he's number one, were the ones that now wanted to kill him. All those who praised him now persecuted him because he gave it all up, all his Jewish roots and religion in his passion to know Jesus, just a passion in his heart to know Jesus. He said, you know, it cost me everything. In verse 8, he said of Philippians 3, I count all things but loss. I've given up everything. What things were gained to me, I have counted loss. Why? So I could be a good Christian? So I could uh, do some good things? No. You know why he gave it all up? Listen to what he said. For the excellence of the knowledge 
of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I didn't give it up for another religion. He said, I gave it up so that I could have a personal, intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I let it go because I wanted to know Jesus. And he goes on and says, in fact, I discovered things, something that really set me free and made me realize how wonderful it was to know Jesus. You know what it was? In verse 9, Paul says, I found out that righteousness does not come by my good works. That I could never be righteous enough to be accepted by God. He said, I found out that my righteousness came from Jesus Christ. And he was God's gift of righteousness to me. Boy, I'm telling you, when he discovered that it wasn't by working hard and doing your best and trying your best and trying to earn God's favor, when he learned it wasn't by the law, I'm telling you, it absolutely set him free because I believe he worked harder than anybody else worked. And now he understood that it wasn't law, it was grace, and it was a gift of Almighty God. And notice what he says in verse 9. He said, I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. I want you to listen to what he said. I count all things but loss. I've given them up. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage. That I might gain Christ. Now listen why. And boy when you discover this. Jesus become much more precious to you. Because you'll understand. My righteousness is as filthy rags. But God through his son. Has given me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And one day I'll stand before God, not in my righteousness. I'll be found in the righteousness of Jesus. Listen to what it says in verse 9. And be found in him. Well, what a statement. Found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is the law. It's what I did. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith, In the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He said, man, I was working so hard to be accepted by God when I stood before him. And I came to the understanding that the best I could do would never be good enough. But then I understood that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and took my sin and took my place, that not only did he take my sin But he gave me, made it possible for me to have his righteousness. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21? He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. And so Paul realized, you know, I'm just going to rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross. I'm just going to rest in that perfect sacrifice that he made for me. And one day I'm going to be found. Not in my own righteousness. Which is of the law. I'm going to be found in Christ. Where I have the righteousness of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Well. But he never got satisfied. With the way he knew Jesus. I want you to look at the next verse. In verse 10. He said I counted everything for loss. So that I could know Jesus. And I realized it was his righteousness and not mine. And I'm telling you, he said it set me free. But he said, I'm telling you something. I I still want to know him. And look at verse 10. You'd say, if anybody knew Jesus, Paul did. I mean, he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and on I could go. You say, well, if anybody knew Jesus, he did. Hey, by the way. How many of us met him in a spiritual supernatural encounter on the road to Damascus? And how many of us, after we were converted, did not go to Jerusalem and be taught by the apostles, but spent three years with Jesus in the desert where Jesus personally taught him? You know what it says in Galatians 1? 
He said, that which I have written to you, I did not receive it from man, and I got it from man, but I was taught by the Lord. You say, man. Hey, by the way, how many of us have been caught up into the third heaven and saw things that were so glorious that we couldn't write about them, so God gave us a thorn in the flesh to keep us humble? Hey, wait a minute. Listen, but I'm going to tell you something. He never lost his passion to know Jesus. He never lost it. It says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How well do you know Jesus? How well do you know him? Not about him. How well do you know him? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He said, I want to know Jesus in his fullness. I just don't want to know his joy and his peace and his power but I want to share the burden of Jesus. I want to share his burden. I want to share this. I want to have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. You say, well, Brother Fred, did he ever feel like he apprehended? In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain from the resurrection of the dead. But look what he said. Not that I have already attained. I'm not there. I'm still on my journey. I still have a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Not that I've, not that I've already attained. I am already perfected, perfected. But I press on. Man, what a statement. More people, people get saved and get satisfied. Well, man, praise God. My sins are forgiven. And hallelujah, I'm going to heaven when I die. Hey, my friend, let me tell you something. Salvation is not getting you out of earth into heaven. Salvation is getting God out of heaven into you. And that's why Paul said, I have not attained. I have not yet perfected, but I press on. He said, I'm pressing on that I may lay hold of him, of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Then he said in verse 13, and you need to hear this. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Are you ready? But this one thing I do. What's that, Paul? Forgetting those things that are behind. You know the reason? So many of you have trouble pressing after Jesus. You can't forget what's behind. You can't forget the great victories you had in the past. And you always live in the past. Or you can't forget the great failures you had in the past and don't know the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus. You know, I, I, I so oftentimes get with people and we talk about the great victories God has given us over the years and, and how we saw God do awesome things. But you know, that won't get it. God's the God of today. And we can't live on yesterday's blessings. And we can't live on yesterday's victory. Boy, I remember the time when I really walked close to Jesus. I'm glad. But what about today? You know, sometimes you have to say, look, God's great blessings in the past were awesome. And my failures in the past were tragic. But the blood of Jesus has prevailed. But what I've done is this. If I'm ever going to know Jesus, I've got to forget those things that are behind. And I have to press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, I love it. I press toward the upward goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Now, many of you would be mature, he says in verse 15, have this mind. You have a passion for Jesus. Well, I want to tell you about a journey. It was about 20, I can't remember if it was 25 years ago, in 1990, or it may have been in 85 or 86, I can't remember. I can't remember, I can't put my finger on the month or the year. But I'd gotten extremely busy, and I knew I was talking about God, but I had lost my intimacy with the God I was talking about. And I was serving Jesus, but I was so busy serving Jesus, my intimacy with Jesus, 
had kind of grown cold. Because I was busy. I thought I was filled with the Spirit, but I was drunk on gas fumes. I mean, I mean, really. I was busy for the Lord. And it dawned on me. You got to know somebody before you, and you got to walk with somebody before you can really let people know how real he is. And so I asked the leadership of the church, Cottage Hill, to let me have a month. Give me a month. And I want to preach on Wednesdays and Sundays, and that's it. I want to spend the rest of the time, one purpose, getting to know Jesus. Not studying for sermons, not reading other people's books, but I just want to get in the Word. And from the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to bed at night, one purpose. To get to know Jesus intimately and personally. 30 days. It was hard when you've been busy, 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 busy. You know, I'd like to tell you that I fasted for the 30 days. I didn't for maybe a couple weeks. But let me tell you something. It was during that time that Jesus taught me how to know Jesus intimately and personally. And you'll see this. I, 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 I was never smart enough. I, I'm not smart enough to think this up. I'm telling you. And it didn't happen in one day. It didn't happen in two days. It happened during that period of time. And so I'm just going to give you that testimony and show you from the Scripture. And I promise you, if you follow Jesus this way, you'll get to know him better than you've ever known him in your life. That's a money-back guarantee. If you will do it, you'll get to know him. As I was studying, he said, you know, and you know, just a still small voice. It wasn't like God was hollering, but it just impressions. He said, you know, if you're going to get to know me, you've got to follow me. I said, well, Lord, I think I've been following you since I was 20 years old. He said, no, I'm going to tell you, there's a dimension of following me that you don't understand. And if you'll follow me, you'll get to know me. I said, okay, that's what I'm doing. I, I want to know you intimately and personally. I want you to talk to me and I want to talk to you and I want to be led by your voice and by your spirit. He said, okay. Now, by the way, you know that the scripture gives a clear call to follow Jesus. I want you to listen to this. In John, you know, I, I, it seemed like this verse has just, just leaps off the pages when you see it. In John 12, 26, I want you to listen to this. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Now, you listen to what he said. If you serve me, then you follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. You'll be where I am. If anyone serves him, me, him my father will honor. He said, my servants who follow me are going to be where I am. Of course, we all know Luke chapter 9, where it says, um, in verse 23, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, he said, I want to come after him. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If you desire to save your life, I'm going to live for myself. You'll lose it. But if you lose your life, I'll die to myself and my life is yours. If you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Then there's another verse about following Jesus. And uh, it's over in um, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I want you to listen to this. He said, I am the light of the world. It's John 8, 12. I am the light of wor the world, and if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. 
And I used to say, that's good, but then I'd, I'd miss the last part of it. He said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. But now listen to this. You will have the light of life. Well, what does that mean? Not only if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And so it's clear that knowing Jesus is, is bound in with this thing of following Jesus. Okay. Jesus, the Holy Spirit seemed to say to me that if you want to go know me intimately and personally, I want you to follow me to four places. And by the way, as God revealed them to me, um, I, I didn't realize they were in order, that one happened right after the other, but they did. And then I didn't realize how the second one built on the first one, and the third one built on the second one, and the fourth one built on the first three. Th this is what came over a period of time. If you want to know me, you've got to follow me to the upper room and learn to wash feet. And I'll give you a servant's heart and you'll get to know me. I said, Lord, I'm going to follow you to the upper room. And then he said, then, after you followed me to the upper room and I've given you a servant's heart, then I want you to follow me to Gethsemane and I'll give you a surrendered heart. And you'll learn to drink what's in the cup, even if it's not what your flesh wants to do. Because you'll learn what it is to have a surrendered heart. And then the next place, he said, then having gone to the upper room and got a servant's heart, and then gone to Gethsemane and got a surrendered heart, then I want you to follow me to Golgotha. And there I'll give you a sacrificial heart. You'll learn what it is to die to yourself. To be that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and die. And it doesn't bite alone that it bears much fruit. You'll find in Golgotha what it means to lose your life. So that you can find my life. And you know, this, each, each one of these places took on significant meaning. But then the fourth place was this. He said, now, in the upper room, I'm going to give you a servant's heart. At Gethsemane, you're going to learn how to live with a surrendered heart. And at Golgotha, you're going to learn how to know what it is to die to yourself and live with a sacrificial heart. He said, but then I'm going to take you to the empty tomb. And I'll give you a supernatural heart. I said, Lord, I like that. <laughs> Let's skip the first three. Well, let's don't even go by the upper room or Gethsemane or Golgotha. Let's just go straight to the empty tomb. And let me know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. Buddy, I found this to be true, and you need to hear me carefully. If God can't trust you with a servant's heart, and he can't trust you with a surrendered heart, and he can't trust you with a sacrificial heart, He's sure not going to give you a supernatural heart because you would absolutely blow it, bring glory to yourself, and not honor Jesus. You say, Brother Fred, what happened in the upper room? Well, in John 13, verse 2, and the scripture will be up on the screen. John 13, verse 2, it was after, um, it was after dinner. They'd already eaten. Now, let, let me tell you what happened. Uh, no, that's not the right verse. It's supposed to be up there. Well, go, go, maybe go ahead. I, all right, yeah, that's the right verse. It's supposed to be up there. And then the next verse is the one where it says Jesus put, put aside his garment. But anyway, in the upper room, see, there was a tradition that if you went to someone's house, what they would do, they'd have a place where you could wash your feet when you went in their house, or they would wash your feet.
but it always upon your entrance of going to the house. And that was a tradition. But this violated all tradition. It violated all tradition. It was after dinner that Jesus laid aside his garment and wrapped himself with a towel and took a basin of water. And can you imagine what they were wondering? What is he doing? We've already eaten. Why is he washing our feet now? And he begins to wash their feet. Peter, he, he wanted to resist Jesus. You read chapter 13. He resisted, said, you're not going to wash my feet. Well, Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. He said, well, wash my whole body. <laughs> and Jesus said, I don't need to. I just need to wash your feet. And Jesus went through and washed each one of their feet. And listen to what he said. It's on the screen. So when he, washed, when he had washed their feet, and taking his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? All right. The next verse in John 13, and I'm just going to look at it in my Bible so I can just, uh, he said, um, do you know what I've done for you? And then he said, uh, so I'm going to go to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down. Again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. Hey, by the way, some people say, well, Jesus didn't really know who he was. He didn't really know he was a savior. He didn't really know he was the Lord. That's a joke. Look at what he said. You call me say, you call me teacher and Lord. You say, well, for I am, I am your teacher and I am your Lord. If I then, your Lord and, master, and Lord and teacher, verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Then look at the next verse. He knew they were slow. I have given you an example. You know what an example is? It's something you follow. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you that do them. He was just hours away from the cross. He had taught them a multitude of truths, the Sermon on the Mount, but he knew one thing, that if they were going to be with him and they were going to be like him, they had to have a servant's heart. So what better thing could he do to teach servanthood and humility to wash the feet of those 12 men? One of them was going to betray him with a kiss and say to them, by the way, you know what occurred to me? The one who created their feet washed their feet. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? And he said, now I've given you an example. I want you to be a servant. And I want you to walk in humility. I want you to wash people's feet. You know, the primitive Baptists, they may still have foot washing. I don't know. There have been times I've been in a service where people wash each other's feet. But, but, but it's not, that's not the literal thing he's saying here. This is what he's saying. You got to be. You got to love people, and you got to be willing to humble yourself and be a servant. You got to be a servant. Now, he boy, he had some things to say in the Bible about being a servant. All right, in Matthew twenty, Matthew twenty, verses uh, twenty-six through uh, thirty-eight, twenty-six through uh, thirty-six. It, oh, let me let me let me look it up myself. It might be the right one on the screen, but I, I get I'm not, I have trouble getting used to the screens. But anyway, here it is. And that's Matthew twenty. I'm gonna look at verse thirty-six. Let me see what it says. Well, it's not verse thirty-six because um, there's no that it's no uh, it's not verse thirty-eight because there's no such verse. Look at verse twenty-six. 
Yet it shall not be so among you. He said, the Gentiles lorded over each other. Now I'm talking about being a servant. Washing feet. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires become, to become great among you, let him be your servant. Wait a minute, Jesus, you don't understand. Oh, yeah, yeah, he says, I do understand. He that would be great among you, let him become your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And then listen to what he says in the next verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Can I tell you something? You're never more like Jesus. You're never closer to Jesus when you're washing feet. You said, Brother Fred, what does that mean? Can I tell you what it means? It means that you listen to people. It means that you love people. It means that you really care about people. And, and you don't manipulate or control people. I mean, let, listen. One of the greatest ways of serving is just listening. And another way of serving is just caring. Then another way of serving is just doing, speaking words of hope and encouragement. And another way of serving is just doing what you can do to help them where they are. You see, the church is not made up of a bunch of people that say, we all come together and somebody serve me. The church is made up of people who all get together and say, who can we serve? You know, people come to the church now and say, what can your church do for me? I tell you exactly what we can do. In the, in, in the foyer back there, we've got a big bowl full of water and a towel. You can go around and wash everybody's feet. Oh, that's not the kind of church I'm looking for. Uh-uh. I mean, what can you do for me? No, that ain't it. That's not it. We're a bunch of servants. We wash feet. You know, um, I tell you, Jesus said, my servants will follow me and be where I am. You never get closer to Jesus than when you're in the upper room. Don't you love the parable of the Samaritan? Fellow was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho down some kind of road anyway, and he fell among thieves. And they beat him half to death and left him for dead. You know, I run into people every day that the devil has beat half to death. I run into people every day that the devil's wounded and left him for dead. Well, the priest walked by on one side. The Levite walked by on the other side. But you know, the Samaritan, the half-breed. He went over and says in John, he said, he had compassion on him. He didn't say, well, you stupid thing, you shouldn't have been walking down this road anyway. You know there were thieves on this road. Well, you never learn. You got what you deserved. Hello. The Bible says he had compassion on him. And he cleaned out his wounds. And he washed them. And he poured in oil and wine. And bound them up. And put them on his donkey. And took him to the inn. And said, now I'm going to pay for the room. You, you take care of him till he gets well. And, when he, and if it costs you any more, when I come back, I'll, I'll take care of it. Listen to me. Dear God. Dear God, listen to me. If you're going to know Jesus, man, you've you got to have the same heart he has. Man, you've got to have a servant's heart. You've got to love people and minister to people. You say, but Brother Fred, some people are hard to minister to. I understand that. You say, well, I, you know, this thing about washing feet, I don't want to wash their feet. I want to cut their feet off. Well, let me just say this to you. No, let me remind you one thing, that it's hard to wash some people's feet. Jesus washed Judas' feet. He washed Judas' feet. What was Jesus thinking when he washed his feet? You know, he'd already told us on the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, 
Bless those that curse, for you, curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And Judas betrayed him with a kiss on the cheek. You want to know Jesus? Go with him to the upper room and say, Oh God, give me a servant's heart. Oh God, give me a servant's heart. And then he went to Gethsemane. And I'm going to move on quickly, but there he got a surrendered heart. Now let, let me tell you about Gethsemane. That was where Jesus faced the cross. That's where he stared the cross in, dead in the face. And in Matthew 26, verse 38 and 39, Jesus looks at the cross and he's asking God if there's any other way. Look at verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Stay here and watch with me. All right. Then he went on in verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and said, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. What cup was he talking about? I'm going to tell you exactly what the cup was. You, you can make it whatever you want to be, but I know in my heart this is what it was to me. It was not his physical sufferings at all. He had already suffered physically. It was the spiritual sufferings. Jesus had never known sin. He was fixing to be made sin for us who knew no sin. The Lord was going to lay on him the iniquities of us all. Boy, when you've never known sin, then you've never known separation. He had never been separated from his father. Not for one moment had he been separated from his father from eternity. And he'd never known shame. Because if you've never known sin and separation, you've never known shame. And if you've never known shame, if you've never known guilt, you've never known shame. And so he looked in that cup and he saw the wickedness and the vile and the ungodliness of every person that would ever live. And he saw the sin, the separation, the shame, the guilt and the shame. And he looked at it and he said, my God, if there's any other way, let it pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. He did it the second time. Same thing. And he did it the third time. But he always said, Lord, if there's no other way. And he knew it wasn't. But that was his humanity, y'all. Jesus was suffering as a man, full of the Holy Spirit. He was the son of David. And so he didn't, the guilt and the shame and the separation and the suffering, Jesus wanted no part of it. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And let, let me just read you this in John 12. See, Jesus had always pleased the Father. He had always pleased the Father. But in John 12, verses 28, 27 and 28, no, let me see which one it is. Hold on. John 12, 27 and 28. Let me see. Oh, here it is. Now my, now my soul is troubled. All right, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. See, he was talking about the cross. He, you know, uh, the hour, every time Jesus mentioned his hour, it was the day he would die on the cross and rise from the dead. That was always his hour. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Now he's saying, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. I came into the world to die. He said, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. All right, let me just tell you this. Getting to know Jesus is to live a life of surrender. Because you never know what's going to be in the cup. Let me tell you this about the will of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. Hear me carefully. The will of God is good. The will of God is acceptable, the will of God is perfect, and the will of God is eternal, but the will of God is not painless. God had one son without sin, he has no children without suffering. And there have been many days as I've followed Jesus since I was 20 years old and been pastoring, I've looked into the cup and I said, well, praise God. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad God's called me to preach. I'm so glad to be pastor of this church. Hallelujah, I'll drink the cup. There are other days I 
look in the cup. I said, Lord, I didn't know this was a part of the job. I don't like that. In fact, do, do I have to drink that to be the pastor of this church? Yeah. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. You mean to tell me I can't keep going on with you unless I'm willing to? No, you can't. So what do you do? You surrender. Lord, I don't want to pastor a church 25 miles from where I grew up and never be away from my mom and daddy. So he sends me to Mobile, Alabama, 2,000 miles away. Seemed like 2,000 miles away. It wasn't my choice. I want, I'd love to be in the Piedmont. Well, I love Mobile now. When you've been here 40 years, you better love it. I love Mobile. I love the people of Mobile. I'm not looking back, but I mean, hey, I promise you one thing. The will of God is good, acceptable, perfect, and eternal, but it's not always painless. And sometimes you have to say, not my will. Not my, hey, so you're dating somebody. Deep in your heart, God says, that's not the, that's not the one. But Lord, I like her. I like him. He's got such a good personality. I mean, I, God says, you mean to tell me? That I can't keep on and no, you can't. Well, Lord, I sure don't like well, what are you gonna do? You gonna drink it or you gonna disobey me? It, it could be any number of things. Well, Lord, I got the chance to get this promotion, and it's in another city, and it'll double my salary. And the Lord says, Yes, but what's it gonna do to your family? And what's it gonna do to your children? I mean, what, what what's gonna go on there? But God, it's so attractive and it looks so good, but He said, but you don't know the future. I do. So you, you just listen to me. I don't want you to do it. Well, Lord, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody climbs the ladder. Yeah, the only problem is sometimes it's against the wrong wall. You want to know Jesus? Just don't have your fingers crossed. Lord, I surrender. We used to sing that song in church, and I knew everybody in there was lying. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And they were upset with me for preaching too long. <laughs> well, that's the truth. <laughs> I ain't going to surrender my time. I'm hungry. <laughs> By the way, I know what time it is now. But anyway, here's the next thing. You follow Jesus to the upper room, and he gives you a servant's heart. What a joy to be a servant. Praise God. Praise God. And it gives you a surrendered heart. You just know God's will is good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It's eternal. And God's it, what God asks you to do, God enables you to do. And God will never put you anywhere that he will not supply. I'm just telling you, you can trust him. And I'd rather be next door to hell in the will of God than out of the will of God and next door to heaven. Here's the third place. It was amazing how the Lord just kept taking me. He said, then you've got to go to Golgotha. And by the way, it says in Luke 9, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his, say the word, daily and follow me. You know what you do on the cross? You die on it. No, no, you don't understand, Brother Fred. My wife's my cross. Oh, no, she's not. Oh, I live with a cross every day. It's my, oh, no, it's not. My cross is my job. Uh-uh. You did one thing on a cross. You died. If somebody walked down the streets of Jerusalem and went outside with a cross, they knew they were never coming back because they were going to die on that cross. The hardest thing you'd ever do is die to yourself. Because flesh wants its own way. Here's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, it, it, it's some great verses. I just want to read them. Romans chapter 6. It says, if we've been united with Christ in the likeness of his death, verse 5, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we died with him, we'll live with him. Oh, verse 6, knowing this, my old man, the nature of Adam, who I am and was in Adam, 
knowing this, my old man was crucified with him. God, you put my old man to death. You put that nature of Adam in me to death. You broke its power. Knowing this, my old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be a slave of sin. He who has died has been freed from sin. Now get this. If we died with Christ, we shall live with him. You know what? Taking up your cross and following Jesus, me, you just die to yourself. Well, Lord, this is what I think I'll do today. And uh, the Lord says, no, I got other plans. But Lord, you know, I want to do it. He said, no. Now, a lot of times he'll just let you do it. He'll be, you'll be so glad. But you see, if, you, if, if you're trying to save your life, I want to serve God on my terms. I want to follow Jesus on my terms. It's my life. It's my life. I'll live it the way I want to. Well, Miss Bertha used to say, you think you have a right to yourself. You do not have a right to yourself. You gave up your right to yourself when you became a child of God. She said, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Well, Lord, it's my life. He said, it's not your life. I, I said, Lord, what about my will? He said, it's not your will. You're not your own. You're crucified with Christ. Your old nature's been put to death. Yeah, Lord, but it's sure still active. Yeah, I know. Flesh patterns. The flesh fights against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. But the power of the old man's been broken in a child of God. That's the difference. It's been broken. That power's been broken. So you don't have to live with, under the rule of the old man. But it's just a place you just have to say, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Hitler took over Germany. The Lutheran church, it was strong in Germany. Two-thirds of the Lutheran pastors signed the creed of the Third Reich and were part of the mass murder of millions and millions, not only of Jews, but people all over the world. Two-thirds of them signed the Third Reich, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer never did. Never did. He's got a book out, they just wrote his biography called Bonhoeffer, and he's got another book he wrote himself called The Cost of Discipleship. Two weeks before the war ended, they shot him, killed him as a martyr. But I never will forget this statement I heard back in 1961. That's how the first time I ever heard it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. I said, you know, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer didn't know when he said that that one day they'd put him before the firing squad for being a treason to Hitler and kill him. You know, you got to go to the empty, you got to go to the cross, you got to go to Golgotha. Servant's heart, a surrendered heart, a sacrificial heart. And the last thing is a supernatural heart. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. The Christian life is a supernatural life. You cannot live the Christian life in your own power. You say, Brother Fred, is the Christian life difficult? It's impossible. The only person who ever lived the Christian life is Jesus. And Jesus Christ has come to live in you. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the Christian life is Jesus living his life through you. You've got a servant's heart, a surrendered heart, and you've died to yourself. And Jesus Christ is free to live his life through you. And it's a supernatural life. Love your enemies. You say, I have trouble loving my neighbor. Huh? If anybody asks you to go two miles, a mile, go two. I don't want to go one. You see, the demands made on us, we can't live the Christian life in our own power. Where does it come? From the empty tomb. Because Jesus comes to live in us, and we know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Listen, you don't have to live for the Lord in your power. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
It's not by might. It's not by power. He said, it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Before the empty tomb, the disciples were a bunch of defeated men. But they met the risen Lord in that upper room. And then he had breakfast with them in John 21. And then they, every one of them went out and were anointed with the mighty power of God. Let me tell you. I could spend a lot of time on this, but you know, I'm just going to say this, and if it offends you, I don't mean to, but I'm just going to say it like, a lot of people believe that when the last apostle died, that the miraculous power of God somehow left the earth. That we've got the Bible, and that's all we need. I'm going to tell you, we've got the Bible, and that's all we need. Amen. But wait a minute. The Bible speaks of the power of God. And I want to tell you when the last apostle died, the miraculous power of God did not die with the last apostle. I'm telling you that now. If it did, we're sunk. I want to tell you one thing. God can do anything he ever did. And I'm tired of people writing books telling me what God can't do when I got a book that tells me what God can do. And I'm telling you he is a supernatural, miraculous all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, supernatural God who can change a life, who can heal the sick, who can raise the dead. I'm telling you, you say, well, I hadn't seen that. There's a whole lot you hadn't seen. But I'll tell you one thing, there's no shortage of God's almighty power. You know who blessed me? Because somebody said, well, I'm a cessationist. I don't believe God does the miraculous things today. I believe the gifts of the Spirit have passed away today. And I, I don't have time for that, but let me just tell you. I, I just said, well, let me just go over there and I want to read about Stephen. He wasn't an apostle. He was a deacon. And you know something? It says he was filled with the awesome power of God and did many signs and wonders. Let, let me just read you a verse about, Phil, about Stephen. It's absolutely awesome. And, and then I'll be through over in... Uh, Acts 6, let's go to Acts 7, verses 54 through 56. And let me just read this about Stephen. And I'm telling you, God will give you a supernatural heart. Acts 7, and this was Stephen, a deacon, wasn't an apostle. So obviously, well, verse, let me just say this. In Acts 6, 8, you don't need to look there. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did many wonder, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now listen to what it says. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then you go over to 754, and it says here, And when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God.